0: Benny. And I'm Kyle. Welcome to The Doctor's Watcher. The podcast where I watch Doctor Who and I tell you about it. Hey Kyle. How's it going Benny? It's going pretty well. Um, I wanted to
1: before we start talking about the next episode of Doctor Who I wanted to mention that we ended the last one saying how much I wanted to watch the scene where they're pretending to run through the woods, but they're in a dark room and they're getting smacked in the faces by people holding tree branches just off camera. Indeed. We watched that scene. Uh, Kyle showed it to me. And it is every bit as amazing as it sounds (laughs) when Kyle (laughs) describes it. It is 100% people jogging in place in a dark room, getting hit in the face by branches (laughs) held by people
0: just off screen. It's pretty amazing. It's it's definitely some of the some of the best you know special effects that that I've seen in my time. <laughs> some of the best worst special effects I I myself
1: have ever seen. Um, yeah, I, I love it. I love cheesy stuff like that. Just low budget, kind of you know they're they're doing the best they can with yeah. probably the the um, resources that they had available to them. And I kind of love them for it. And all the actors are just so game to like, you know, be standing there, running, getting smacked in the faces with branches. It's uh-huh. it's so good. It almost makes you think, man, like maybe I could do that. You, know? <laughs> you mean get hit in the face, or be the person swinging the branch and hitting someone else in the face?
0: Uh, I was thinking about filming somebody ah. getting hit in the face. <laughs> By a swinging branch. I feel like this could be the next YouTube sensation. <laughs> Should we get into our next episode? Let's do it. Let's leave the, the cave people behind
1: and travel into the stars. Indeed. Because this one's the dead planet,
0: right? Yep. The planet of death. Episode 5, the dead planet. I was right
1: the first time. <laughs> it sounds so good. I am. I am so looking forward to it.
0: So this episode, and in fact this entire serial that we are starting with this episode, <laughs> is written by Terry Nation. Oh, okay. Well, nothing against the
1: last guy whose name I've already forgotten, <laughs> but that's that's promising. Things are looking up. I've never heard of Terry Nation
0: either, but at least it's not the same person from before. Indeed. Um, well, the name Terry Nation might be familiar to some of our listeners, if they happen to already be Doctor Who fans. If you don't recognize the name, then I'm not quite going to say why he's famous yet, <laughs> because it is a spoiler indeed. Okay, well, try to resist the urge to Google it, fans <laughs> at home. So, last we saw, if you recall, at the end of The Fire Maker... The TARDIS had jumped to a new location. Uh huh. And before they left the TARDIS to go check the area out, you know, they looked at the scanner and it had like kind of weird, whitish, ashy looking trees, I guess, uh-huh. on it. And Susan looked at the radiation meter. Almost as an afterthought, I remember. Right. <laughs> and it, it looked fine. Until she turned away and started walking away, at which point it suddenly spiked into the danger zone. OMG. Did kind of make me wonder, like, does it not activate for a little bit after they land? Or was there, like, some event that actually caused the radiation to spike just then? Or... Maybe we're about to find out. Maybe we're about to find out. Or maybe not. (laughs) Maybe not. But I, I did have to think a little bit about how the radiation meter functions... They do end up leaving the TARDIS and checking out this forest cool. that they are in. The forest is all ashy and misty, and they think that there must have been a fire there because of all, all the ash and everything. That already sounds more like a forest of fear than the actual forest of fear that they got <laughs> in the forest of fear. It does. I think it's definitely a more more fearsome forest so far. Yes. Ian notices something interesting. He notices that there's quite a breeze blowing. It's pretty windy, but the branches and things on the trees aren't moving. Whoa. So he goes to investigate a little bit closer, and he he realizes that they're not moving because they're made of very brittle stone. Cool. The doctor agrees. He's like, how fascinating, a petrified jungle. Yeah, the doctor and I are 100%, you know, together on this. So the doctor wants to investigate, definitely. He he realizes, you know, it it couldn't have been heat that caused this then. Our theory about the fire must be incorrect. So he goes off to investigate, and Susan excitedly rushes along with him. She says, I'm coming too! And Barbara, Barbara and Ian stay behind for a minute to kind of discuss their situation a little bit. Mm -hmm. At this point, they have no idea where they are, or when they are, I suppose. They have no idea if the doctor can ever take them back home again. Mm -hmm. And they're kind of scared, actually. Understandably so. Yeah. Or if the doctor even wants to take them home. Right, That's that's not clear either. So, Barbara wants to stay near the ship but ian wants to keep an eye on the doctor as he points out the ship is useless without the doctor uh-huh and the doctor seems to have a penchant for getting himself in trouble i have to say i kind of agree with both of them
1: i think they both have good points
0: yeah i can i can see it from both sides of the situation it seems like staying near the ship could potentially be safer yeah on the other hand if you're locked out of the ship then being near it is probably not going to be that much help. Well, I
1: mean at least
0: it's a little piece of home. That's true. So there is a a little funny bit of dialogue. Barbara says as they're discussing the doctor, Barbara says, "Don't you ever think he deserves something to happen to him?" And Ian laughs, <laughs> and says, "Yes. Oh my gosh." <laughs> I mean, he's he's a total
1: jerk. He's kind <laughs> of an a-hole, but oh, jeez. You guys.
0: Yeah. So they catch up with Susan and the doctor in the forest, and Susan finds a flower, you know, petrified little flower, and the doctor, she's, like, really excited about this. You know, uh-huh. It's a pretty cool thing. It is pretty cool. Doctor doesn't give a shit. Doctor. At all. It's like you deserve to have something happen to you. (laughs) But Ian carefully collects it for her. He bends down and, you know, like carefully snaps the stem and, you know, picks it up for her and tells her it's very fragile and, you know, be careful to keep it in one piece. But as he's handing it to her, Barbara calls alarmedly from off screen. When I get it back to the ship, I'm Ian. Going to put it into a glass. Ian! And he, Ian, turns to rush over to Barbara and just totally, like, smashes the petrified flower in Susan's palm.
2: And then drink it. Coming! Coming!
0: Oh. And she looks down at all the broken pieces in her hand, crestfallen oh. and disappointed. <laughs>
1: Oh, jeez. Was <laughs> that, like, the only petrified flower that they could see
0: from there? Um, I think it w- it was the only one in the area, yeah. jeez. <laughs> oh, that's, <laughs> that's a bummer. Yeah. But the reason that Barbara called for him is because she found this super weird creature, I guess, in the forest. Mm-hmm. It... Is a few feet long, and it's maybe a foot or a foot and a half high. It's like a large lizard with a row of spikes running all down its spine. And it has these two completely ridiculous eye stalks that stick several inches up from its head. Is it just a regular lizard with some, like, fake eye stalks stuck
1: to its head? I'm actually... Pulling up an image to show you. <laughs> Sorry, those of you at home. <laughs> we can try to describe it for you.
0: So here's one view of it. Cute. And then there's a, another view in a little a little bit as well. If I just pull the scrub bar ahead. Here, Ian is. Ian kind of waved his hand in front of it, mm-hmm. and it didn't react. Because so it looks like a prop. He realized it was dead. So here he is kind of knocking his hand on it, and you get kind of a side view of it. Uh-huh. It's really cool.
1: I mean, it's not a real lizard at all. It's just some, like, statue that some prop person built, and it looks kind of cute in a
0: awkward kind of handmade kind of way. <laughs> yeah, it's... I, I thought it was pretty fun, actually. Like, the ice stocks are ridiculous, but that's kind of what sells it, in that, a way. That's what we're here for. Yeah. We wouldn't be watching Doctor Who if we didn't like ridiculous shit. That's right. So, he realizes that it's dead. He knocks on it, as you just saw. Uh-huh. And he says that it's solid stone. Uh-huh. And there's a some good dialogue where... Barbara says
2: it's hideous. Yes, it is. It's also significant. Nothing on earth could look like this. It looks like some sculptor's nightmare.
1: <laughs> and the actual like sculpture in the prop department's like, yeah, you know, that's what they pay me for.
0: <laughs> the doctor says,
2: yes, it's certainly alien to anything on your planet.
0: <laughs> By definition, I suppose. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, that's, That's kind of what we're talking about, Doctor. Things alien to our planet. Or on other planets. As opposed to things alien to any other planet, (laughs) which in fact would include us, (laughs) Barbara and Ian.
1: I will say, as much as I enjoy that statue prop thing, it does not look like it's made out of stone at all.
0: Well, it's funny you say that, because the Doctor Ah. actually points out that it's not made of stone. Uh It's made of metal. That's what I thought. And he further speculates that it has always been metal, even when it was alive. Ah, cute. He says,
2: I should say originally it was some pliable metal held together by a, a magnetic field, or an inner magnetic field rather. And it may have had the ability to attract its victims towards it, if they were metal too.
1: <laughs> I like this little metal food chain.
0: Yeah. Barbara comments, we're not on Earth then. Oh, Barbara. <laughs> Doctor says, no, certainly not. And Ian and Barbara look at each other, and Ian says, are you sure? Okay, so this is the first time that either
1: <laughs> of them have been off of Earth. It's true. And, uh yeah, it feels... I, I would probably say that, too. I would probably be like... You know, I guess this isn't Earth,
0: but, yeah. I think the doctor is starting to get a bit annoyed. (laughs) Because he says, oh, certain, and you needn't look at me like that, young man. (laughs) We started this journey far too hurriedly to make any calculations. You know that as well as I do. However, we're alive. Good point. Yeah, there is that. It's around this point that Susan sees the edge of the forest, so she and the doctor go to check it out. Because the the, um, soundstage was only so big. (laughs) While they're gone, we have a good barbarian moment. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh, our ship's name, Uh you'll recall. Ian (laughs) says to Barbara, Try not to be too upset. And Barbara says,
2: I counted so much on just going back to things I recognize and trust. here, there's nothing to rely on, nothing.
1: Except me, says Ian. Well,
2: there's me. Yes! (laughs) Barbara, all I ask you to do is believe, really believe, we'll go back.
0: We will, you know. She says,
2: I wish I was more like you. I'm afraid I'm a very unwilling adventurer.
0: And Ian says, And I'm not exactly
1: reveling in it myself. (laughs) Oh, uh... You can't see it, listeners, but I have such a smile on my face.
0: <laughs> I think there, there were a couple more barbarian moments throughout the episode, but I thought this was a good one. I wanted to call that one out. Yes, thank you. Susan comes back and tells them that the doctor is talking about fixing their position by looking at the stars. Cool. Which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah. It's like the old school style of figuring out what planet you're on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just
1: like the way the ancients used to do.
0: Are we uh, on Star on Earth? <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> Barbara's like, uh, doesn't the TARDIS have like, records of the journeys and shit? Uh-huh. And Susan's like, oh yeah, totally. There's like this whole huge bank of computers that can take you wherever you want to go if you give it the right info. And Barbara's like, yeah, so what gives? Why don't we know where we are? And Susan says...
2: Well, it's a question of the right information, you see. I don't say that Grandfather doesn't know how to work the ship. <laughs> but he's so forgetful. And then he will go off and... Well, he likes to work on his own.
1: He he wanders off, is what she's saying. and uh-huh. He's not very helpful. He's not a good team player.
0: Not at all.
1: Also, I, th- I think that she feels probably like... Uh, A bit like everyone who's ever done a tech support job, which is like, why, yes, the software could do the thing that you need it to do, but
0: you need to know how to work it. (laughs) It only can tell you where you are if you give it good info. Yes. So the doctor has kind of wandered back to the group now himself, and he hasn't worked out how all this happened yet. The forest and whatnot, but he says that the planet is just totally dead, almost a dead planet, if you will. <laughs> I don't think he quite says the name of the episode, but but he comes close. <laughs> Good, because we're all wondering it. Uh huh. Is is the planet they're on? The dead planet of the title, or are they gonna like jump to another planet sometime in this episode? But it
1: seems like this is the dead planet. <laughs> the dead planet serial, episode two, the deader planet. <laughs> two dead, two planets.
0: There actually is a name for this serial which I haven't mentioned yet. Not because I disagree with it, but because it's a spoiler. Okay. Ian calls them over. I guess he took a few more steps than Susan and the Doctor did a minute ago because he calls everyone over because he can see off in the distance there's a huge city. Oh my gosh. It's probably a matte (laughs) painting. It it might have been a a little model. I'm not sure.
1: (laughs) That's another option.
0: The Doctor has these pretty great binoculars. They are like just regular spectacles, but they've got these, like, big, fat, like, three-inch-thick lenses. Nice. It's pretty great. <laughs> so he kind of scans the city with his awesome binoculars. Did he just have these in his pocket, or...? Yeah, he well, he's got, got like, a, a bag or something. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, he scans the city, and he doesn't see any signs of life. All he sees is are... They're just buildings. Magnificent buildings. Magnificent Everyone gets to take a turn with the binoculars. Cool. I think Susan gets them first and then she passes them to Barbara who passes them to Ian. And the doctor is like, I shall know more about it when I'm down there. And Barbara just immediately is like, fuck that. We're going back to the fucking ship.
1: Yeah, I mean like the dead planet or something, you know, killed everything, I don't know. <laughs>
0: Doctor says,
2: Now don't be ridiculous. That city down there is a magnificent subject for study, and I don't intend to leave here until I've started investigated it.
0: It's magnificent. I've told you before. But things don't get too heated here because Ian and Susan both rightly point out that it's starting to get dark. There's no time to go to the city tonight, even if we want to, quote-unquote, you know, per Whether we want to. Yes. And the doctor agrees, you know, it's too dark to go, but he says he's determined to study it. I guess his awesome goggle
1: glasses don't have night vision mode. (laughs) Ian says,
2: Do what you like, as long as you don't endanger the rest of us.
0: Mm hmm. Doctor says,
2: Very well then. I should look at it myself alone. Hmm.
1: Susan was just telling us about how much he likes wandering off. Yep. And Ian
0: was saying he didn't want the doctor off on his own. So just after Ian says you can do what you like, and the doctor says what he would like to do, Ian says...
2: You're the only one who can operate the ship. I'm afraid I can't let you do that, doctor.
0: You can do what you like as long as it's operate the ship. Yep. I think it was a city model rather than a matte painting, and the camera does give us one last good look at it before they head back through the forest toward the TARDIS. Cool. In the forest on the way back, Susan finds another flower, and she stops to collect it. Good, I'm glad. I was worried. Yeah. But the rest of the group, I guess, didn't notice. They're not paying very close attention to her. She is 100% going to get kidnapped. And so they move on. And, but, you know, I'm I'm also glad that she saw this other one and, you know, got another chance to collect it. I thought it was pretty sad that the first one got smashed.
1: She's 100% going to get kidnapped because she got split off from the group.
0: I'm not sure if she noticed that she split off from the group or if she started to hear the soundtrack of the episode. <laughs> because just as the music starts getting spooky, she starts to look pretty nervous. <laughs> And she stands up, and I think she does realize that she's alone. And she basically just starts turning in place in random directions, and looking in random directions. And her face gets progressively more and more upset looking each time she stops, until she calls out, Who's there? And she starts kind of backing up. And first, she's backing away from the camera, kind of at an angle. Mm-hmm. Then we cut to a different view. She's backing towards the camera, and she backs right into a tentatively outstretched hand. Oh, jeez. We don't get to see what or who the hand is attached to, because it's off-screen. It's kind of reaching from the camera towards her. Tentatively, though. Tentatively. I guess it's
1: not snatching her, it's just kind of no. like, uh-huh.
0: And she screams, understandably, Mm -hmm. and the hand actually withdraws.
1: Oh, it's a polite hand. Polite-ish, I mean, it's still kind of reaching for her.
0: Yeah. Ian hears her scream Uh and goes and finds her. And we cut back to the TARDIS, uh, you know, sometime later, where we get a doctor is a jerk moment. When Barbara asks him,
2: Did Susan tell you what frightened her?
0: And the doctor says,
2: Yes, yes, she's convinced that someone touched her, and I tried to make her see it wasn't possible, but I'm afraid she wouldn't listen
0: to me. Mmm, doctor? And our, our doctor is a jerk moment actually turns into a kids these days moment. <laughs> oh boy. When the doctor asks Barbara, I wonder, uh, would you have a talk with her? Barbara says yes of
2: course I will
0: and the doctor says yes uh,
2: you know sometimes I find the gulf between Susan's age and mine makes difficult uh, understanding between us I'll see what I can do oh would you thank you thank you very much be grateful huh I mean I
1: kind of wish he'd try harder but that's kind of sweet of him to want somebody to talk to her
0: yeah I kind of thought so too like it seems like Maybe it should be him since he's her grandfather, Mm -hmm. but, you know, at least he's slightly concerned about her and wants someone to address her. And of course, Barbara agrees, you know, Barbara goes and checks on her and asks what she's doing. And at first, Susan, you know, has a sad face on, but she tells Barbara, oh, nothing, I'm just drawing. And Barbara's like, oh, Ian said you were terrified. Something must have frightened you. Mm -hmm. And Susan says,
2: It's not that so much. It's it's just that I'm... I'm fed up. No one believes me.
0: Understandable. Yeah. Especially when you're a teenager. Yeah, she's, what, 15, if I remember right? And, you know, spending her life with at least as much as we've seen of her life with her grandfather, who's Uh kind of a jerk. Kind of a jerk. And, you know, we have just seen an example of an instance where he completely didn't believe her. Yeah. So Barbara gets the story from her, and Barbara tells her that she believes her, and she says,
2: Susan, it isn't that he doesn't believe you. It's just that he finds it difficult to go against his scientific facts.
1: Huh. I'm not sure that follows. I yeah. do think he doesn't believe her because of the scientific facts. But maybe she's trying to say it's not that he specifically doesn't believe Susan. Like it's not that it's because Susan's saying it, it's because right. it goes against the scientific facts.
0: Right. It's not about Susan, it's about it's about the what she's actually saying, not who's saying it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what Barbara's trying to say. Hey everyone, this is Kyle. Here on The Doctor's Watcher, we don't have any sponsors, at least not yet, and we haven't even set up a Patreon or anything. But we appreciate you listening. Maybe we'll get around to setting up a Patreon or whatever later, or maybe we'll try to sell you some mattresses or meal prep kits or whatnot. But in the meantime, Benny and I both have Venmos. If you really want to send us some money, let's start with you sending an email to the Watcher at gmail.com and we'll work something out. Thanks for listening. Back out in the control room of the ship, Ian starts quizzing the doctor about the ship's computers as the doctor's looking at them. And the doctor's not really paying attention. He's just like, yes, mm-hmm, yeah, uh-huh.
1: Just I was going to of... say, I was hoping that he was going to be like, oh, yes, these are so modern and amazing. You know, they have 26 megabytes of RAM. (laughs) This is the, you know, whatever 500 megahertz processor. I don't actually know that much about processors.
0: (laughs) No, yeah, I wish we'd get something like that to just completely date it, but... (laughs) I guess uh, Terry Nation was, I guess, smart enough to stay away from... That sort of thing I, I mean you know like, how's the sci-fi? <laughs> as
1: much as it's hilarious when you hear how many you know gigabytes of storage a, a robot has um, it, I think it's probably the right call to just kind of like hand wave it
0: yeah but the doctor just ignores Ian mostly until Ian gets annoyed enough to blast off onto this whole rant where he says
2: now listen doctor i don't want to argue with you we're fellow travelers whether we like it or not but for heaven's sake try and see it from our point of view you've uprooted us violently from our own lives and the doctor interrupts him you've pushed your way into the ship young man all right all right i admit it a small part of the blame is ours but naturally we're anxious what are we going to do can we live here what do we eat there are millions a very good idea i'm hungry (laughs)
1: <laughs> I will answer one of those questions but only for this one moment in time
0: <laughs> meanwhile Susan is mixing up a headache remedy for Barbara she's got kind of this little vial that she's dumping into a glass of water Huh. and you know Barbara's complaining about having a headache which she says she doesn't usually have at all and the doctor kind of sees what susan's doing and he's like oh yeah like that's good stuff like that that should take care of it (laughs) barbara drinks it and says it's, it's quite nice actually and the doctor walks over to the food machine which is just this like big four foot like, metal box or console kind of thing. Cool. With all these buttons and dials on the front, and also, like, two kind of slide doors. (laughs) So the food comes out. And the doctor walks up to it, and he opens one of the slide doors, and he pulls out this little, like, dehydrated biscuit-looking thing. Huh. And just kind of starts nibbling on it. So he didn't actually have to, like push any buttons or
1: do anything on the machine if was just already there. Yeah, it seemed to just already be there. Man,
0: you don't know how fresh that is. <laughs> you, you got to, like, freshly beep-boop it up. Mm-hmm. Ian and Barbara are both just kind of staring at him. And he's like, oh, oh, did you want something to eat? What would you like? And Barbara's like... i like some bacon and eggs. Yum. And Ian's just like... All right. Bacon and egg. And the doctor's like, Bacon and egg. <laughs> <laughs> We're having a fun conversation. And the doctor grabs a booklet off of the top of the machine and kind of looks through it a little bit. <laughs>
1: he has to look it up in the manual. Come on, doctor.
0: And he says, uh, J-6-2. And Susan repeats, J-6-2. As she turns one dial on the machine, and then the doctor says, L-6.
2: 6
0: You sunk my battleship. (laughs) And she turns the other dial. And then she pushes a button, and the machine beeps. And Ian says, I hope mine doesn't taste of engine grease. And everybody laughs.
1: (laughs) The doctor's like, don't get your hopes up.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And the doctor slides open the other slide door and pulls out a couple more weird dehydrated biscuit thingies and hands them to... Ian and Barbara. And Ian kind of seems skeptical at first, but he tastes it, and he's like, Hmm, not bad. Okay, no engine grease. Doctor looks kind of annoyed at this response. (laughs) (laughs) It supposed to say it's delicious! Well, Ian asks, What do you think, Barbara? And she's like, I
2: think it's
0: delicious. All right, well done, Barbara. And Ian says... My bacon's a bit salty. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the doctor's like, but it shouldn't be, it's
2: English. <laughs>
0: Seriously, doctor. Which I, I guess is a joke. Yeah, I'm so, sorry, <laughs>
1: listeners.
0: Everyone on the ship chuckled at it, so.
1: Yeah, I mean, I yeah, it's probably based on some hilarious English, well-known, like, I I don't
0: know. I can't mm-hmm, even finish mm-hmm. the sentence. But then Ian's like, no, seriously, doctor, this is remarkable. I mean, one bite, and I taste the bacon, another, and I taste the egg. How do you do it? And the doctor says,
2: Well, food has component parts, dear boy. Flavors are rather like primary colors, you know. You blend two to achieve a third and so on, et, et cetera,
0: And Ian says, well, I think it's wonderful. Yeah, again, whatever the doctor
1: said, it didn't actually answer Ian's question.
0: Right, but like it didn't even address how the two different bites could taste different. Exactly. It just says, oh, you just mix some flavors together. (laughs) Are they mixing
1: themselves while they're already within the bar?
0: Uh Uh-huh. And about this point, we find out that Barbara, who usually doesn't get headaches at all, is feeling much better. Seems that the drink that Susan made her was quite effective, as promised, and Susan is about to show everyone where they can sleep for the night, when they hear a tapping noise coming from outside the ship, and they look at the scanner, but they don't see anything. Okay. Everyone seems a bit spooked, and Barbara really wants to just, like, go, like... Fair. Let's just get out of here completely. Fair. Makes sense. Doctor's like, nope, we've got to check out that cool city. Barbara's like, dude, seriously, why? It's magnificent. Doctor says, I will not be questioned. Uninvited passengers. I didn't invite them to the ship. I shall do what I want to do. He I, he technically didn't
1: invite them to the ship, but he did, like, take off while they were in it.
0: Right. Arguably, so, uh, he took responsibility for them at that point.
1: Yeah.
0: Ian says, why endanger the rest of us by staying here? And Susan actually chimes in at this point, too, and she says...
2: Grandfather, please. Please.
0: So, he relents. Okay. He... Goes over to the console and starts messing with it. Okay, it was a short serial. It was. TARDIS starts making its familiar wheezes, and then he crouches down and he opens up a panel kind of beneath the console, and he starts messing in there for a second. And then he closes that panel and stands back up. And just as Barbara is saying, Dark
2: trees are all very well. The next forest I walk through, I want them all
0: to be made of... The TARDIS starts to shake and make some different and probably bad noises. Uh Uh-oh. Everyone's like, WTF? And the doctor's like, I don't know, it was all fine and normal and shit. Until I started messing with this panel, I guess we have to go check out the city started messing with this panel while you all were standing, like, directly on the opposite side (laughs) of this console of me and didn't notice or say anything. And Susan's like, should I go look at the fault meter? And the doctor's like, yeah, probably.
1: Okay, the fault meter.
0: Right. By this time, the TARDIS has stopped shaking and making noise, and she goes over to the fault meter, and we see... You know, like that paper with lines drawn on it being printed out. Cool. Kind of looks like a Richter scale or whatever. Old school. Right. She looks at it and looks at, you know, all the beeps and boops and lights and whatnot. And she says, K7. And the doctor's like, ah, yeah, K7. That's the fluid link. Of course. And he goes to the same under-console panel that he was messing with earlier. (laughs)
1: Not suspicious at all. And he
0: pulls out the part that he was messing with. And then we get a little bit of interesting dialogue. The doctor says,
2: Yes, there we are. You see, the end of it's unscrewed itself and the fluid has run out. And Ian
0: says, What have you got to spare? And the doctor says,
2: Oh, no, no need for that. This is easily repaired. All we have to do is refill it.
0: Ian's like... Oh, what eh. liquid do you need? The doctor says... Mercury. And Ian's like... Mercury? Oh, can I get it for you? <laughs> I think Ian knows that something's up. Uh-huh. And of course the doctor's doctor's response...
2: No, I'm afraid you can't. We haven't any. At all. Ian's like... What? Yeah? No, Don't uh... you carry a supply? Uh,
1: but didn't you just say how easy this is to
0: repair? The doctor's like...
2: No, it hasn't been necessary. This
0: hasn't hadn't before. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently we only need to prepare for things that have happened before that could go wrong. Yes.
1: I mean, I guess that, that has a strange sort of
0: logic to right. it. Right. If the end of your fluid link has never quote-unquote unscrewed itself <laughs> before, then... Clearly, it's never going to happen, so we don't need to carry any extra mercury whatsoever. And even though we have these cool machines that can make weird dehydrated biscuits that taste like bacon and eggs, Mm -hmm. I guess they can't make mercury. They can probably just make weird dehydrated biscuits. That taste like mercury. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So the doctor's like... Yeah, we totally don't have like any mercury at all. I guess we'll have to get some from outside. And Barbara's like, but where? There isn't anything outside but oh shit. And Ian's like, fuck. Yep, guess we're going to have to go to the fucking city. (laughs) We'll go at first fucking light after we all get some sleep. These are some foul-mouthed characters in (laughs) this 1960s British BBC TV show. (laughs) And the doctor's like, brilliant idea! There's totally going to be some mercury in the city. We have no choice but to go there, and it's totally not my fault and I didn't just sabotage my own ship (laughs) ten minutes ago. This dialogue is so much better in this episode. (laughs) So the next morning, they head out. And Ian's like, remember, we're going to find Mercury. And as soon as we find some, we're coming right back. The doctor's like, check. Remember to
1: not find Mercury (laughs) until I've already looked at every other part of the city. Okay,
0: got it. Got it. So they leave the TARDIS. And the first thing they notice when they've left the ship is that there's this strange, like, oblong canister thing on the ground that wasn't there the night before. Cool. Barbara's like, don't touch it, it might go off. So Ian tells them to stand back, and he grabs a stick, which allows him to sit an explosion-safe distance <laughs> of a few inches back yes. as he pokes and prods it with his stick. Very, he, so,
1: very scientific. Yeah.
0: He also held his free hand in front of his face, further protecting him from any potential imminent explosion. Well, I mean, that's the moneymaker right there. Luckily, nothing happens when he pokes and prods it, <laughs> and he decides that it's safe to touch and they realize that it's a box containing glass vials with some liquid in them. Cool. And Susan's like, then there was someone here last night. They must have dropped it. And Ian is the only one to even acknowledge that she spoke at this point. <laughs> but he does say, yes, sorry, Susan. Which, you know, I thought it was nice that he apologized even if no one else noticed or cared, apparently. Yeah. Doctor's just like, oh, cool, I'd like to run some tests on these. So Susan pops into the TARDIS for a sec to drop the box off on the counter and comes back out and they head off. They didn't check what it was? No, not not right now. We've we got to get to the city.
1: What if it's some like benevolent alien who doesn't want them snooping around who heard they need mercury <laughs> and left some on their front like. Step.
0: Well, because if they scanned it now and found Mercury, then the Doctor would have no excuse to go to the city. So we can't scan these vials until after we've checked the city. Checks out. So we cut to our heroes arriving at the city, where Old Man Doctor has to sit down and rest. He says, I'm just a bit tired. It was a long journey and my legs are rather weak. And Barbara suggests that maybe she and Ian should start checking out the city while the doctor rests. But the doctor's like, no, 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 I want to check it out too. And Ian comments in passing that he's a bit tired too, so let's just get this over with. The doctor's like, I don't want you finding Mercury without me there to uh, conveniently get rid of it. Right. Barbara accidentally waves her hand in front of an automatic door sensor and a door opens leading into the city. And Ian has apparently never played D&D because he comes up with a brilliant suggestion of splitting the party. Splitting the party. He says, let's all go different ways and meet back here in 10 minutes. And everyone else, apparently, has also never played d because <laughs> they're all just like, "Yeah, cool, no worries." So Susan helps the doctor to his feet and kind of supports him as they all go off in different directions. okay, this time somebody's getting kidnapped. We follow Barbara for the time being, and she steps into what is probably meant to look like the middle of a very long hallway, (laughs) but what actually looks like the end of a short or medium-length hallway, the end wall of which is painted to look like the hallway continues Roadrunner style. They tried. She doesn't notice, but we the viewers do notice, that there's a camera mounted, not like a... TV studio camera, but, like, an actual in-fiction camera Hmm. mounted up on the wall that's following her movements. So how, like, sci-fi futuristic does this camera look? The camera actually doesn't really look that sci-fi or futuristic. It's basically just a surveillance camera. I guess they had to, like, make it recognizable as a camera. Yeah. The hallway is pretty cool, though. It's got these, like, interesting kind of cool-shaped arches all down the hall. Cool. And then on, like, the painted continuation of the hallway, you know, it it continues, like, the theme of the arches (laughs) getting smaller and smaller down in the distance. They tried. She goes down a few hallways with the same theme of interior decoration, short to medium hallways that are disguised to look longer but are probably actually supposed to look longer. (laughs) After she goes down a couple hallways, then on the next shot, the camera is at kind of a tilted angle instead of just looking at her straight on. Mm. And she kind of not really stumbles, but kind of like steps in a little circle halfway down the hallway As if she's, like, not really sure where she's going or what she's doing. Like she's getting kind of dizzy? Maybe, yeah. It's a bit unclear if she's getting dizzy or if she's just kind of getting lost. I mean,
1: presumably, you know, because she was getting headaches earlier. True. We saw the radiation meter. True. So I'm thinking this isn't,
0: like, uh, this isn't great for her. She hasn't really noticed that a couple doors have been closing behind her. We've seen this, but she hasn't noticed at this point. Meanwhile, the Doctor and Susan open and go through a door. Hmm. And then come back to Barbara. That's all we get. Barbara goes through a few more rooms, and we get what is genuinely and legitimately one of my favorite shots of Doctor Who so far. Nice. Barbara enters a small room, like elevator size probably. She enters from screen left, and she basically crosses the room perpendicular to the camera's view, across the few feet to the right to the opposite wall where she puts her hands on the wall and kind of feels for a bit like she's checking to see if it's solid or something or if it'll open at her touch or whatever. And it's oddly fleshy. (laughs) We're probably going (laughs) to cut that joke because nobody in the audience
1: will get it. But that that was for Kyle.
0: (laughs) And nothing happens. And then she turns toward the camera and she approaches and she does the exact same thing as we realize that we're basically seeing this shot from the perspective of one of the walls of the room. And she literally places one of her hands directly over the camera lens as she feels this wall. Whoa. And this lasts for a moment until she turns around and pats the third wall of the room behind her. And then she turns and exits through the only way out, which was the door she came through on the fourth wall. Huh. It's really interesting. We talk about breaking the fourth wall, uh-huh. but this episode's director really preserved the fourth wall. Yeah, I mean, yeah. like,
1: he created, he solidified the
0: fourth wall. Yeah. I guess, technically, it was the second wall. But <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I would assume it's the director who makes these sorts of decisions. I don't actually know, because I'm not a filmmaker, but... I think it's probably the director. The director happens to be a person named Christopher Barry, but not the one who plays Rimmer on Red Dwarf, I checked. Okay. This Christopher Barry, according to Wikipedia, covered the longest span of any director during the original run of the series. Oh, cool. Having overseen episodes from 1963 until 1979. Whoa. Yeah. That was really, truly a great shot. I actually do really love it. I've seen this episode a number of times now, and I've loved that shot since the first time I saw it. Cool. Ian rendezvous with Susan and the Doctor. I guess it's been ten minutes. And Barbara is not there, obviously. Mm -hmm. They're like, "Uh, let's give her a couple more minutes but we might need to go looking for her. And we cut to Barbara, who's starting to freak out a little bit now because she's realizing that time is passing, ten minutes are up, and she's realizing that doors have been closing behind her, Mm -hmm. and she can't get back to meet up with folks the way that she came. Ian decides that they've waited long enough, so he opens the door and he and the doctor and Susan all head back into the city to start looking for Barbara. Mm. Barbara has gotten herself trapped in a small room, much like the one from earlier, except this time the door closed, and she got trapped in, and then we heard some whirring sounds for a while, and then the door opened again, and she was at a different hallway. Whoa. So it was an elevator. Whoa! She starts walking around down here and then she gasps and she backs up against the wall and she screams in horror as she sees what's coming for her. We don't get to see much of it ourselves. She's looking directly toward the camera as she screams which puts us in the point of view of whatever she's screaming at as it approaches. And all we do see, blurrily protruding forward from us or from the camera rig or whatever, is what looks kind of like a toilet plunger sticking forward, pointing (gasps) at her, and advancing. Could it be? And we then get the title next episode... The Survivors. Whoa.
1: So, so listeners, um, I'm sure if you're listening to a Doctor Who podcast... Um, I suspect most of you are probably like me, where you've seen some of the newer stuff, and now you're curious about like what came before, but not so curious that you just go out and watch the whole episode. Like me, like <laughs> like Kyle, <laughs> um, because yeah, I'm sure that the majority of them, at least many of them, are probably a pain to sit through without like you know having buds there to talk about it with, like us. Um, but I'm sure everyone has heard of the
0: Daleks. Or maybe having buds there to smoke with. (laughs) You know, we made it through that entire episode (laughs) with the the stone forest
1: and the petrified flowers, and we didn't make a getting stone
0: joke once. (laughs) Listeners, we are recording this in California, where it is legal. It is legal. Kind of mostly, (laughs) as long as you don't pay attention to the federal government.
1: Uh, wish for these days not paying attention to the federal government is probably good for your
0: uh, your stress. Yeah. Your stress levels. Anyway, you were saying the Daleks. Could be a Dalek. It could indeed. And you'll recall
1: that Kyle said that he wouldn't tell us the name of the cereal because it would be a spoiler. <laughs> and I was already
0: thinking then, hmm, could it have something to do with the Daleks? Should I reveal the name of the cereal now or should we wait until our next episode? Well, go ahead and reveal it now. The name of the serial is, indeed, The Daleks. Yes! And Terry Nation is famous for creating The Daleks. Yes! Oh my gosh, I have to say, I
1: think one of my all-time favorite episodes of Doctor Who is... I think it was just called The Dalek or something? The one where they're in, like, future Utah and, like, the the rich collector has, like, The Dalek that I think rose touches and it comes back to life but it's yeah, part human cuz she cause like it activated gets, it like
0: her energy or whatever yeah oh my gosh that episode was so good yeah that is a really good one that's that's a Christopher Eccleston one isn't it i'm pretty sure yeah cuz most of the ones i watched were Christopher yeah. Christopher
1: Eccleston ones yeah i feel like well we can probably talk about this when the daleks actually show up but it just it I just blows my mind, like how how weird they are. Yeah. Like how did they come up with this shape, and that it's this like actually conceptually really scary thing that just looks so incredibly goofy, but at the same time I think because it's so inhuman, um, that's what makes it so scary. Because if something I mean, looks human, then like maybe it thinks like us too.
0: hmm
1: But the Dalek has. Pretty much no recognizable, like, human anything on it. Right. I mean, I guess, you know, the head's on top, and it's got, like, the little plunger and the ray gun, which are kind of its arms, and it's got the eye, which is also kind of its face. But all of those things are, like, not close enough to being human, I think, to really register as, like... This is a person, or it thinks like a person. Right. So I think, yeah, I think that's what makes them so creepy.
0: I I think the Daleks are so cool. Well, and I think when you first see them, obviously we haven't seen them yet. We've just seen a, a toilet plunger. But when you see the full Dalek, you probably think that it's a robot or something, Uh huh. but it's actually alive. Yeah. And once you realize that, no, it's actually alive, then, like... That somehow makes it even creepier and cooler.
1: Yeah, because you know it has that synthesized voice. So yeah, it could it could very much be some sort of robot. But the because if it's a I don't know like if it was a robot that was programmed maybe it was programmed by somebody who's kind of human, but if it's alive, then it's just like what is that life form? Yeah, like what's going on in, in there? Yeah, oh, it's so cool. It's just yeah, it's such a an effective creepy thing, and I feel like yeah, in this episode. Um, it sounds like it was really cool, just like kind of, not a lot, whole lot happens in terms of like, you never see any other people other than that one hand. Right. They just like walk around some empty sets and like, what's going on here? Oh well, what's going on here? Like, what's in this new set? Um, but yeah, it's just. It's that, that feeling of, like, something happened here, and it probably wasn't good, and we don't mm-hmm. know what it is, but we want to know more. Like,
0: how do we really want to know more? Right. How much do we
1: want to know more? Now the Doctor definitely wants to know, <laughs> which is kind of cool that he's, like, actually curious and interested in this. Because yeah. so far he's seemed to be very much just kind of like, oh, you know, pish posh whatever you're into or whatever you want to do i don't really care and like you know i'm just gonna be over here doing my own thing but now he's like oh a city on a dead planet let's check it out
0: right like we're kind of starting to get to see who he is a little bit yeah apparently he's an explorer and an adventurer it's pretty cool he sees a cool city off in the distance and he's like man i gotta check that out yeah like, I'm so dedicated to checking that out that I'm going to sabotage my ship and lie to my companions.
1: Well, he's still a <laughs>
0: jerk. I think that's probably his most defining character trait. Uh-huh. But, but yeah, I definitely appreciate the adventuring spirit myself. Cool. Cool.
1: Yeah, I... This is a good one. You were right.
0: And I have to say that the dialogue has improved oh yeah maybe it's just because we only have our heroes and no other people but you know there's none of this i cow and za this and za that <laughs> there's no confusion about pronouns versus names and also i noticed that they've kind of dropped a few breadcrumbs that they haven't gone back to yet that I'm hoping that they'll touch on in future episodes. Hmm. Like the the box of glass vials, for example. Mm-hmm. Like they dropped that off on the ship and said, we'll come back to that. Mm-hmm. And they haven't come back to it yet. Yeah. So I kind of feel like they're, they're rolling the story out a little bit better than they did last yeah. time. Yeah, and it
1: seems like Susan honestly has a lot more to do in, in this episode than in the previous serial Where it just seemed like, you know, she didn't have anything interesting to do or contribute. She was just kind of there. But this one, she's like, kind of... Because the Doctor never explains anything. That's kind of his thing. But Susan is actually, like, telling our our heroes a little bit about what's going on. And she's more um, approachable. But still, she has that sci-fi background and experience. Right. It's cool. I think that I think that works as a as a dynamic.
0: Yeah, it kind of puts her yeah in the position to to relate to Barbara Inian and kind of explain to them what's happening and through that explain to us the viewers. Yeah. So our next episode, the Survivors. Uh huh. I guess we don't know who that refers to or what they survived.
1: Well, I mean, there was some, there's gotta be some sort of like cataclysm or something on this planet to leave it so dead and irradiated and petrified and turned to metal. And maybe some people survived that. Or maybe, but then the other thing I was thinking is like, what if our heroes
0: are the survivors? Could be. Maybe something is about to happen that our heroes might survive or might not. Well, let's hope this arrives <laughs> next time on The Doctor's Watcher. Hey, Kyle here. I want to say thanks to Circuit23 for the awesome theme song hero for us. You can check out his other music at soundcloud.com/slash circuit23, and you can reach him at circuit.23. That's circuit.23 at gmail.com. Thanks to Benny for listening to me talk about Doctor Who. And thanks to all of you for listening to Benny listen to me talk about Doctor Who. You can follow us on Twitter at Dr. Watcher, and you can email us at thedoctorswatcher at gmail.com. If you liked the show, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you review your podcasts. If your rating is not five stars, save yourself the time and don't even bother. Join us again in two weeks on The Doctor's Watcher.
1: Oh, she's 100% getting kidnapped because she got split up by the group. Because she got split from the group.
0: <laughs> you want to retake that?
2: No,
1: I, no idea what I'm saying.